You're listening to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. I am your host, Anna, and I'm here today with a special guest host because our main host, now you may have noticed we haven't done an episode in a while, or maybe it's sometime in the future and you didn't notice there was a break at all, and that's fine. But uh, he's been getting uh, teeth implants, which you can imagine might uh, affect one's ability to talk. So while that's healing up, uh, I have someone who you might recognize from a previous Classic Gamers Guild podcast episode where we've spent time gushing over King's Quest IV, which happens to be our favorite classic game. Or perhaps you've heard her on Twitch, live streaming a classic game or supporting musicians in the gaming industry uh, with various projects. Uh, Please help me welcome the very talented Sarah Kelly to the show. Hey, Sarah. (laughs) How's it going? It's going good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. And I'm excited to get the two of us together because the last game we talked about, it was fun because it was a game that was made by a female in the gaming industry and was also starring a uh, female in the gaming industry, as in Rosella. And uh, what we wanted to talk about today is is a nice sort of follow-up because uh, we wanted to talk a bit about the uh, the strong female figures in gaming uh, that influenced us growing up, sort of our impressions on uh, females within the industry and uh, and kind of just some ideas of, of games in the past and present that uh, I want to talk about. So long story short, uh, it's a, that kind of an episode. Sounds fun. Okay, great. So uh, yeah, I wanted to lead off kind of just talking a little bit uh, with you about your history with any sort of impression of an idea of, how do I put this, being a girl in the gaming industry? Uh, like, for example, for me, when I was growing up, my mom was a computer graphics artist. My dad played games occasionally, but in, in our household, it was mostly the women that did the business on computers and mostly the men that played games on computers. So I wasn't like... I wasn't aware of any difference between girls or boys growing up in gaming. I just knew that most people didn't have computers. And that was, that was my original sort of thoughts about it is I didn't really think about it. Uh, What about you? I didn't really either. It didn't even occur to me until quite a bit later that there was kind of any kind of disparity or gender divide in video games uh, or computer games, I guess, specifically, because that's what I played. So I was introduced to them by my dad. He brought home King's Quest IV, and we solved that together, looking up hints on Prodigy, and um, we had a great time. I had no idea until far later that that was even a thing. Um, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I I almost feel like it's such a touchy subject. I don't know how to say who, what, or why, or if we're even getting into it. Like my idea for going into all of this was just just the fact that I didn't know there there was. Like I thought women made games, women played games, and women were heavily involved in the industry. And and you know when I was reviewing notes and setting up for this episode, I realized how heavily I think our history of gaming was influenced by female designers from our from our king's quest to our quest for glories uh, to phantasmagorias to uh, conquests of longbows and various it's all camelot i mean it's all mm-hmm. uh, it's all just it's intertwined through all of it isn't it it really is 
And I think maybe part of the reason, I was thinking about this earlier um, when you talked to me about what we were going to talk about. Um, I think maybe part of the reason that that whole divide thing passed us by is because um, it's, it was because we were playing adventure games. And I think that was just sort of almost a different fan base from sort of the platform stuff and, you know, the first person shooters and that sort of thing. And there were a lot of women that played those too, but the marketing was aimed almost exclusively at men. So, um, and again, I, I missed all that because I wasn't involved in any of that. I wasn't looking at the marketing for those types of games because I didn't really, me personally, I didn't really care about them. I mean, I played a little Nintendo 64, a little classic Nintendo, but it was more like a dabbling, not, oh, wow, this is my favorite thing ever. Mm-hmm. But do you follow um, Jess Morissette on Twitter? He's a decaf Jedi. Mm, yeah okay yeah yeah yeah. so you know how he's always posting these just horrifyingly hilariously sexist ads from the early aughts and stuff i've Um, seen some brilliant ones on there actually and i'm like i swear i recognize some of them i'm like yeah (laughs) i think i remember that so i wasn't seeing almost any of this i do vaguely remember pc gamer kind of being a little rough like maybe Mm -hmm. 10 years ago but um so for example actually he brought i i pulled up one Let's see. Um, it was from the official PlayStation 2 magazine, Christmas 2003. And it was a person wrote in. Let's see. Uh, here, here's part of the letter. It was just like letters to the editor. I want to know if you can explain to me why most females are unable to play video games. I know there are women out there who can, but the majority of them are useless. They can't seem to work their fingers individually. (laughs) They refuse to follow simple instructions, which are vital to the gameplay. They just want to do everything the way they want to do it. And I was just, and it goes on and on. And it's just hilarious because, you know, obviously that's completely ridiculous. Um, but again, you and I weren't seeing this for whatever reason. I don't know if that was just kind of like, you know, uh, kismet or what. But um, but I, I think that, I mean, just to go into it a little bit, um, I think that maybe Adventure Games pulled in a more diverse audience than the platformer stuff. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I guess the thing is, I don't actually know a whole lot about the breakdown of other genres. Um, but, you know, I just sort of felt, I feel like, um, adventure games pulled in um, all genders um, equally. It, it mm-hmm. seems like there's just a lot of interest from from everyone. And um, I don't know, maybe that's what happens when you have a team that is pretty, you know, pretty, a pretty even, you know, split kind of defining the genre. Um, there aren't really any preset rules. There's, there's less of a barrier to entry. Um, and I don't know. It just had this universal appeal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because for for our first favorite game to be by a woman about a female character, and then to find out that most of these games, well, a lot of them were written by husband and wife teams, was it just mm-hmm. seemed kind of normal, actually. Yeah, I mean, I obviously, why wouldn't they work together and make a game? Like, yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, you have Roberta Williams and Ken Williams. You have um, Christy Marks and Randy Littlejohn. I don't know if he was involved with Sierra stuff. That is not something I'm sure, but I think they're both um, Mm -hmm. involved in creative industries. Lori and Corey, Cole, of course, Jane and Bob. Um, So you have, yeah, you have a lot of um, husband wife teams working creatively together in the industry. And I don't Mm -hmm. know that that is common anymore. 
in any genre. Or even if like, for example, highlighting Sierra again, because that's where we always go, what other company would highlight who made the games anyways? I mean, nobody else Mm -hmm. does that. You're like, oh, there's Sierra. Here's all the people that made the games. This is who the games are about. And then you're like, oh, LucasArts makes games. They do. That company. Who works for them? I don't know. George Lucas, I guess. Like, I know we've, we've Noah Faustine and there's lots of fantastic people. I'm not trying to rip on that. But what I'm saying is they just, they didn't go out of their way. Anybody else that I've ever known to tell me who made the media mm. that I'm participating in. That's true. Sierra did a really good job of pushing their designers and getting them in the forefront. I remember their pictures on the backs of the boxes. So mm-hmm. we knew who these people were. I guess um, they were obviously book readers because it's like almost like the the back jacket of a book. It's like I'm buying this book because it's a Stephen King book or because it's a Daniel Steele book or whatever because I know I like that author. I'm going to buy this next Sierra game because I know it's one of Roberta's games because I know mm-hmm. I like the games that she makes. That's a good connection. And I think, you know, and just to be completely honest, I'm fangirling a little bit here, but like Jane Jensen could like, you know, put a Jane Jensen cover on the outside of a box of dirt and I would buy it. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, mm-hmm. wow, this is the best box of dirt I've ever had, you know? So I think that <laughs> it's true. It, it, there really is something to, and, and maybe that was part of the, maybe that was, uh, actually, if you think about it, that's a really smart thing that Sierra did because if somebody plays a game and they love it, or if somebody reads a book and they love it, well, they want to go and find out what else that author has written. Same for mm-hmm. game designers. I love this game. I love the flavor of this game. I love the characters, I want to go and find and play all the rest of their games because I know I do that. I play a game that I like. I'm like, all right, where's the rest of it? I want more. That's true. And then I'm like, well, what about compilations? Where did they help in? Is there another game that they touched that maybe they just produced or they voice acted or they directed? Same with authors. Is there's a If there's a book that they've co-written or maybe there's one of their short stories in a compilation that I wouldn't normally buy, but I know that one story is by them. So it really does have a chain reaction effect. Mm-hmm. And th- yeah, now that I think more, I think about that. It's a really smart thing that Sierra did is, you know, connect us to the designers and get us excited about what they do. So even if that designer goes from one series to another, we'll follow that designer if they're mm-hmm. doing something new. So. Like right now, I'm playing Blade Runner because I know Jim Walls is connected to it, and I like his other work with the Police Quest series. I know he does uh, some voice acting in there. That's not the only reason I'm playing it, but I'm I pick it over other games because I know a game or a name is associated with it, right? Right. Yeah, I didn't know he was doing that. Hmm. Yeah. So the whole world of games that I didn't know about uh, actually out there growing up, which is goes back into not realizing, you know, positionally where I was supposed to be in the gaming world. Uh, all The only friends that I actually had that had personal computers that weren't a Nintendo were girls at school, too. <laughs> I didn't know, like, I went to boys' houses and stuff, but they didn't have computers in them. So it was really, I might have even just totally thought it was the other way, like, wow, 
this is a female dominated industry. I'd be impressed if there was a guy out there. And of course, I'm talking to my mom this morning about this episode and she laughed at me and she says, if you were working in it like I was, because she's been doing computer graphics art since like the 1982, she's like, you'd see. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of us girls actually out there, you know, working in the industry unless they were like receptionists and things. But as far as doing the computer work and all that frustrating stuff that, that she didn't have a lot of friends, let's just say. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I'm thinking back and I know that I had some neighbors that had an Apple mm -hmm. when I was young, but we were the ones that had the PC. And, and so mm -hmm. people would, I remember people, you know, when they came over, I'd be like, oh, let me show you this. Let me show you King's Quest Six. We had some kids over from our church and I was like, okay, let's play King's Quest Six. And we watched the opening movie and everybody was like, wow, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And, um, and at the time, nobody had seen anything like that. Um, but yeah, I think that, well, I mean, to kind of backtrack a little bit, my dad worked for IBM. Mm -hmm. So he worked for them for, I think, about 30 years. So in the 80s, back when it wasn't common to have a PC in the home, we had all kinds of different incarnations of PCs. We mm -hmm. had we had one that he borrowed from work to bring home to work on. He bought a PC Junior. He bought an IBM 5155, Ooh. which, as you know, became mine. He gave that to me before he passed away last year because mm. he knew that I I wanted it. And so, and of course, that's another thing that makes these games so special is that I grew up playing them with my dad. Of course. Yeah. The, the whole heart of all of it, right? The connection that we have to the person mm -hmm. that introduced us to it. And then in many of our cases, it was our mom or our dad or somebody, an older sibling mm -hmm. or maybe at your friend's house. But that that's important forever and, and kind of a, a really strong memory. But yeah, I think that one of the great things that these women designers did for us just by doing what they did was to sort of provide us a little bit of a sheltered bubble in which to just kind of dive into our interests um, mm -hmm. because we didn't really know that that wasn't supposed to be a space or at least that some people didn't think that was a space where we were supposed to be. We were just like, no, nah, this is where I'm supposed to be. Like all the, they, I mean, they designed this stuff. And I honestly didn't really even think about the women designers aspect until I got older. When I was a mm -hmm. kid, I was just like, I just like these games. This is fun. Exactly. Yeah, me too. I was like, girl, boy, it doesn't matter. For me, it was like, hey, mm -hmm. everybody come over and watch me play a game. And then they realize they can't have a turn. And then they realize <laughs> when they can have a turn that it feels like schoolwork. I've had more than one person say, are you playing homework? But I'm like, <laughs> you know, you just, you don't see it. That's fine. That's fine. At least you like the music, right? <laughs> That's funny. It definitely takes a certain kind of temperament to mm -hmm. play an adventure game but and I actually have found that now that I'm older I have less patience than I did when I was a kid mm. you know you get stuck on one problem for weeks right uh, and you just yeah. keep coming back to it and keep coming back to it and me if I get stuck for like 10 minutes I'm pulling out the walkthroughs it's true <laughs> because, because especially if it's a really good story I want to know what happens next I'm like Especially if it ends up being, a, and this is just a personal preference, but if it ends up being a logic puzzle, I'm like, this logic puzzle is in the way of me finding out what's happening in the rest of the story. So I'm just going to go ahead and skip it. I might mess with it for a little bit, but more often than not, I'll just figure out 
you know, find someone who solved it already. <laughs> I think that that's a big part of it. And for me too, it's like, I end up, uh, I'll forget to save. Even when I was a kid, I'm like, save and save and save. And then I forget to save. And then it's been like 30 minutes. And then I'll do something like I did yesterday when I'm playing Blade Runner and I shoot, I, I didn't notice where the perp had gone. And then I shoot a poor, like homeless fella in the game by the dumpster. And then it's like, oh, not only did you not catch this guy, but you shot the wrong guy. And I'm like, well, I don't want to follow that story arc for my first playthrough. But then I'm like, oh, my restore is so far back. <laughs> And they're like, eh. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll going. live with it. <laughs> yeah, th this is an okay mistake. Sometimes I'm mean to myself and I'll, I'll get mad and I won't save it and then I'll quit. And then when I go to play the next time, I don't have the choice. You ever do that to yourself? You're like, oh, apparently I didn't want to just in case come back here. That's fine. Well, the thing that I end up doing, and this is what actually stopped me in my tracks um, playing one of the Sherlock Holmes games, I kind of... I don't know if it was automatic saving for me or what, but it kind of, it was a bit of an arcade sequence where I had to follow somebody, but mm -hmm. I couldn't, I had a limited amount of time. So I was following them through London in all these corridors and alleyways. And if I stayed kind of in sight too long, it would, there was this little meter that would run up and tell me, and then that person would see me and then I'd lose them. <laughs> and I think it saved when the meter was too high and I didn't have to, a time to hide. And it was probably physically possible to proceed from there, but I just didn't want to spend the time. I was like, I'm so I was sort of soft locked and then I got frustrated and quit. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would be an entire podcast in and of itself, I think would be to talk about, you know, puzzle dynamics and what makes us quit and why, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. what are the, what are deal breakers, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, deal breakers is a good way to put it. That'd be a good name for an episode. Well, here, look at you. you everybody's hearing us brainstorm in real time. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so I guess if we're going to talk about people that made the games we love, I personally would like to go right to the beginning, at least in my book. I know she's not the first woman in computer games, and, and there's so many people before that have laid the groundwork, but this is my timeline. And within my timeline, Roberta Williams is the name that kind of started it all for me. Now, I'm guessing that's probably about the same for you. Oh, yeah, that was the first designer's name I ever knew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you'd see her on the back of the box. I mean, and I, and I never like I never thought of her as her characters. I thought of her as independent, but it's like I wanted to meet her as badly as I wanted to dress up like Rosella, say, or something mm -hmm. else. Like Roberta became very important to me very early because I was like anybody this talented and this funny that can make these games. I don't know. Sierra sold it to us, right? Is clearly a person that I want to, you know, idolize a little. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the more I hear about her, the more I'm impressed by her work. Mm-hmm. I also yeah. love. I also love the fact that I mean, to, well, to go back for me, of course, you know, she was the face on the back of the box for King's Quest Four, and also the face that told me every time I died to <laughs> next time be more careful. <laughs> and I really liked her games. We started with King's Quest Four. We moved on to King's Quest Two. Um, we bought, and I don't think we actually ended up buying them all. My dad just would buy one here or there. We missed three somehow, but. He also got uh, Colonel's Bequest and the Dagger of Amun-Ra because mm. my dad was a big murder mystery fan. So this was right there. Um, I understand that he she wrote uh, Colonel's Bequest but wasn't as heavily involved with Dagger of Amun-Ra. Is that right? Was that a Bruce <laughs> Balfour game? 
Yeah, and uh, now we might have to edit this out, but wasn't Laura Lee or, or somebody else was more involved in it anyways? I remember she was working on multiple projects at the time, so. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. Uh, I don't, I don't have know. the Googles. Yes, 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 we can. Mm -hmm. We can assume that. And by saying that, we don't actually need to know. So that's fine. Um, but I, we ended up playing those and I just, you know, I just developed a great appreciation for her games. I had so much fun. I liked her protagonists. I love King Graham, but I also love that I got to play as Rosella. Rosella's my girl. She still is. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, love Laura. Love Laura Bow. Want to be Laura Bo, still want to be Laura Bo. Um, <laughs> how about yeah, you? I, what I, was your introduction to Roberta Williams? What was your first game? Uh, obviously, King's Quest IV, hands down. And, and I went straight from King's Quest IV into uh, King's Quest V. Like, I didn't go from that game right to the next, but within the King's Quest line or her specifically. I played King's Quest V before I got to Colonel's B Quest. I think I probably got into Colonel's Bequest when I was closer to 11 years old, so a little bit mm -hmm. older there. And uh, and again, super happy having a female protagonist in a game, uh, and and a challenging game that you know it lets you keep going. It wasn't the kind of game that cut you off unless you died. It was the kind of game that was like, hmm, that's all right. Did you miss something? Game's going to keep going. You may or may not have the amount of information you need at the end, but. Uh, yeah, that's what you're going to do. I, I didn't play any of like the little kid ones, like uh, Mixed Up Mother Goose or uh, any of those games at the time. And then I think I went straight from her to jumping into the uh, the Lori Cole games after that. And we'll probably end up talking a little bit about Lori as well. She's probably my, uh, my next that I experienced on the list. And then shortly after that, Christy Marks. I probably like, I probably hit all of them around that age, 11, 12, somewhere in there. And, I think uh, I was a little bit older. I think Christy mm -hmm. Marks was my second after after Roberta Williams mm -hmm. because oh, I nice. bought I got some birthday money and I believe and I can't remember if it was Black Cauldron first or Conquest of the Longbow but those were my games I bought those <laughs> so I bought Conquest of the Longbow myself and I loved that game and so did my dad mm -hmm. it was and my I dad liked, and I loved it too that's awesome mm. it was different because it was the first game that I played that had a day night cycle. I mean, mm -hmm. besides the one in King's Quest four, but there was a, there's a different goal every day. And mm -hmm. I liked that because it really kind of moved the story on. So you weren't just kind of wandering in the world. You had a direction mm -hmm. and, and daily goals and daily story movement, which um, she's excellent at knowing of course now, as I do her background with gem <laughs> and comic books, Oh, my husband bought me one, uh, uh, one of her comic books uh, hmm. a couple years back, so I have Which that. Which one is that? That is so cool. Oh, I'm trying to remember. It was... Edit this out because uh -huh. I'm taking some time here and... All right, I'll cut in and say I didn't know that hers was gem when I was a kid, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I got to go to a gem sleepover when I was a kid, and we all got oh. to sing. We all dressed up as as characters that that we liked from uh, either either side or the other, and then we got to do like lip syncing on the microphone, and we got to do like the fancy sparkly hair, and it was pretty awesome sleepover. But I didn't know that it was the same person that made the game that I liked at all. Like I had, they didn't really advertise it on cartoons. They weren't like this is the person that made gem you know like how would i right know? was it truly outrageous it was truly outrageous 
So I think the one that I have is one of the Sisterhood of Steel comics. Okay. She yeah. did. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Talented, 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 for sure. And of course, I wanted to be on the good side. I didn't want to be one of the misfits. I, that's what I remember about it. Oh, no. In fact, so I always, and you probably are the same as I am, if there is an option to play kind of as a nice person or as a jerk, mm -hmm. I always err mm -hmm. towards a nice because I have always. guilt, tremendous mm -hmm. guilt playing Huge. as a jerk. I can't I do remember it. my ex, like we got this ATV game and he started like running over the animals on the PlayStation <gasps> 1 or something. And I'm like, oh, I remember being so upset because I'm like, never in my life have I purposely killed an animal that hasn't tried to kill me in a video game. So I was like, why would you do this? Notice I said my ex, just, just <laughs> saying. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. I, well, and the thing is, as soon as you said that, I was horrified because I, was like, <laughs> I would never do that. Well, okay. I have to. I have to confess something. Have you played uh, Mario sixty four? Mm -hmm, I, I have penguins. to confess. I I did that. Yeah, I, I, I dropped the penguins. <laughs> I know, but you know what? I still feel guilty about that. Is I that know. <laughs> I feel you on that. And like I don't know. It's I'm a this, monster. And it's I'm bad a enough what we did to the unicorn in King's Quest four. You know, that's just. It never ever was okay after that. It never trusted another human being again. I know, I know. And it was what an interesting narrative idea it is to make that something that you have to do. So there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of moral compromise on uh, Rosella's part there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly. All the way through, she has to prioritize. And clearly, and, and I mean, what is her goal? Is her goal saving the land? Does she even care about Janesta or anybody else? Or is it all about her own satisfaction of making sure her dad doesn't pass? Because there's that big overarching story. So it's kind of interesting to see inside her mind, or it would be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And as somebody who, you know, if I could have, man, if I could have gotten that that fruit to save my dad, man, I would have, mm -hmm. I would have been all over that Pandora's box, anything, you know, in so. a second. Speaking of, I uh -huh. mean, you, you and your dad, you said played uh, the uh, Camelot game together. Did you guys solve all the riddles yourselves? Cause my dad and I solved all the riddles ourselves, maybe with a bit of help from my mom here and there, but we had to figure all of them out. Well, I actually never played Conquests of Camelot um, until I haven't actually finished it. I played a little bit of it with my brother recently where we uh, solved the okay. riddles. Okay. But the one that I played with dad was Conquest of the Longbow. Right, right. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, the tree, the, are you talking about the, um, the green man riddles? Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. All of the riddles from it. Yes. Those ones. I don't remember actually. Um, I don't remember at all if mm -hmm. how we solved those initially. Yeah, I just remember we had being to so think yeah. about them a lot. There was a lot mm -hmm. of thinking. My dad's like, you just need to think about it and go to sleep. And sometimes they'd get it before I would, and they'd kind of laugh at me, like, you don't get <laughs> it yet. I remember the one that stumped us both was getting Rosella out of the whale's mouth. We could not figure out how to climb the tongue. It was just we we finally found a post on Prodigy on a Prodigy bullet, bulletin board <laughs> that outlined for us very precisely what kind of what angle you needed to go at and where she stands up and everything. And so we finally were able to get out of there before she died. So that was, that was a big moment for us. 
That's really, you know, and I was thinking about the first moment you were saying my first encounter with Roberta. You know, I think for me, the first time I ever met her was when they kind of broke that fourth wall at the end of Leisure Suit Larry 3. I, at the time, thought it might have potentially been the last Leisure Suit Larry game, but it wasn't. And then they uh, Larry interrupts her because she's directing a scene on uh, King's Quest 4. And she's like, hey, hey. And then anyways, that's that's kind of the first time I ever encountered Roberta outside of the warnings on King's Quest. Oh, you know, I'd never played that game. I think I've seen, I think I've seen the scene that you're talking about, but mm-hmm. I've never actually played it. It blew me away because I'm just like, this game has been a laugh right from the get go. And then all of a sudden you're here behind the scenes at Sierra and everyone's just like, hey, what's up? Like, let's go for a beer after Bob kind of thing. And it was just like my my kid brain could not take it. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> they like to have they like to have a lot of fun with themselves, kind of. They, they, you know, put themselves into the games here and there, little inside jokes and Easter eggs all over the place. I love it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Me too. So, yeah, I would say that's our first. And then even in, in Phantasmagoria, we got a little bit more exposure with uh, some female writers with Lorelai. Shannon was getting in there and Roberta Williams. And and it's funny because it's like I show this game to my mom and we're talking about some of the scenes in it. And I said, oh, that, you know, Roberta really, really was specific on how these more intense scenes were supposed to go. And she's like, it just it doesn't seem like a female's game. And and it was really like this is Roberta steering the ship all the way through on this one. She had a very specific image in mind of how things were going to go. So I think right here, a game like Phantasmagoria really does break the mold of what is a female, what is a male, or what is just a fantastic game designer. Mm -hmm. Well, that kind of brings up something that I wanted to talk about a little bit in reference to probably specifically Roberta Williams and Jane Jensen, gosh, all of them really, um, is that, how do I put this? If I um too much, please cut this, Paul. Thank you. (laughs) It's going to take me a minute to put this thought together. Um, Actually, I could start with Full Metal Alchemist. Have you ever heard of that manga and and (laughs) anime series? Okay. So, I'm not actually really into manga. I have, it's the only series that I own. And the reason that, well, first of all, I just really, really liked watching the anime. And so I went, okay, I want to read this. But what I discovered was that the person who wrote it, wrote it under a a pseudonym and um, basically used the male version of her name. Like, I guess if you change it, I think her name was Hiromi Arakawa, and Mm -hmm. she published under Hiromu Arakawa, so it would sell better. Right. And um, it's basically, she loves Star Wars and B-movies and crazy stuff. Just, (laughs) like, the cheesier, the better. And this woman grew up on a dairy farm and wrote this enormous manga while having children and just kind of so she's like a farm mom and she wrote this this insane story and it's just so incredibly creative and what I love about it is it doesn't remind me of anything else and it doesn't Mm -hmm. really seem like something that and granted people can like whatever they like regardless of gender but it doesn't seem like something that's written by a woman we kind of tend to think of things in terms of you know I don't know, romances, which which is also fine. Romance as a genre is perfectly fine. It's just more things that are traditionally female or mm-hmm. traditionally associated with women. This, this I wouldn't put into that particular box. Mm-hmm. And when you have um, 
Roberta Williams and Christy Marks and Lori Cole and Jane Jensen writing the types of things that they do that kind of delve into darker places or more fantastical places. It sort of like, um, like Arakawa, it sort of gives me permission to like what I like, I guess, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense, I guess to go into that really quickly, what, what do these women mean to me personally? I think it's, the older I got, the more the gender divide seemed to widen. So when I was a kid, I was less aware of it. Mm-hmm. But then I sort of perceived that there were behaviors and interests that sort of received greater social reward than others mm-hmm. um, for women. So like, you know, it was just sort of the normal stuff, you know, being invested in marriage and kids, which is all great, of course. But I didn't do all of that right away. And some people, some women never do, mm-hmm. and which mm-hmm. is fully okay. Either way is fine. Um, but it was nice to have... It, it was nice for the stories that I was drawn to to have been written by women, even if they seem to be not really conventionally in the pocket of the social circles that I grew up in. It was mm-hmm. nice to be able to identify with them and to be able to be pulled into their stories and have examples of women who are like, well, you know, maybe this isn't what people expect of me, but I'm going to write it anyway. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have fun doing it. And so it gave me uh, permission Mm-hmm. to to do likewise i guess if that makes sense i don't know if that's too vague but when i won't go into it here but at, growing up again in the circles i grew up in there were a few people in my life that tried to kind of painfully shove me into conventional boxes that mm-hmm. and it just didn't work for me um and so i think it's important to have those examples in your life mm-hmm. creative examples especially it's true. I mean, for, for a self of our own identity and again, not to be scared of certain aspects of our own personality too, because it's like, oh, not everything for girls is sunshine, light and ponies and not everything for boys is He-Man and Skeletor. So I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I didn't also pay attention to what was a girl show or a boy show. Mm-hmm. Same with my games. I literally liked what I liked and played what I played. And, and I think these games actually had quite a bit to do with that you know I never thought of it that way but I think that might have been partly the case with me at least um so growing up I liked I just kind of liked what I liked I Mm -hmm. liked DuckTales and I liked Thundercats (laughs) and I also liked Barbie and Strawberry Shortcake and My Mm -hmm. Little Pony and all of those other things that are a little more girly Mm -hmm. I just I just want I guess I just want everybody to be able to enjoy whatever it is they enjoy. (laughs) That's how I feel about everything. I'm like, wow, Mm -hmm. I'd really like you to feel happy and enjoy what you're doing and hope that I do. But also knowing that if I hold what I I want my opinion to be on you, then you're going to hold what you want your opinion to be on me. And then nobody's fully happy. And I think a lot of that logic, like my dad and I were talking about that uh, last week, is a lot of the logic we encountered having to figure out puzzles and figure out dialogue and, and what kind of a character we wanted to play probably uh, sprung our logic circuits a little bit earlier than maybe it, ours would have been if we didn't have to think about those types of big, like literally life and death decisions at, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. It, it is interesting how the media that we take in shapes some of the ways that we think. And I think it was really good that we grew up with these games that challenged us in those ways and helped us to problem solve creatively. And granted, I've never encountered any kind of, you know, uh, 
place in my life where I had to find my way out of a dark forest by squeezing <laughs> honeycomb onto the ground, putting emeralds in it, and then capturing <laughs> a little elf. But you know, I am I'm waiting for that day. It's gonna happen. <laughs> it's totally gonna I happen. I am prepared with life skills. No, <laughs> I mean I'm joking, but at the same time, um, you know, my my job requires a certain amount of creative problem solving. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes people who play adventure games are really well equipped to, to jump into things like that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we, we are never going to eat the pie. We are going to save the pie because we might need the pie to solve an emergency situation. I feel like I want to get CJ uh, to draw. I, remember she drew those wonderful comics about yes. adventure game logic. Mm-hmm. I feel like I want to have, good. I think she, she should draw one where somebody is, you know, adventure gamers at Thanksgiving and maybe there's a pie there and everybody's eating it. And she's like, we might need this later. That's beautiful. Putting it in her purse or something like that. I'm going to save it. Oh, you could do sassy art. Like her sitting there like, or uh, Graham sitting there, like eating the pie in front of the Yeti or something. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Yeah. So many options. Can you hear a weird noise in the background of my computer right now? On Uh, my microphone? A little, it's not much. Okay, good. Because I think my cat's trying to cough up a hairball. And if that was That's really, really thing. evident, I didn't know if that would be an attractive uh-huh. sound to have in the background. I think our audience loves here. random animal noises. I don't think okay. we've ever had an episode without a scratch or a meow or a something. Okay. So really, everybody just feels more at home because they've been missing the episodes. They're like, ah, okay, random noises That's in right. the background. Everybody's I'm inviting happy. you into my office, you guys, into my home <laughs> with the sound of my cat coughing up a hairball. So uh, mm-hmm. welcome. It's- 3D oral this, sound. Yes, I want this to be really a warm and welcoming, inviting, and gross place. So, uh, <laughs> no, that is not getting edited out. I'm afraid. Sorry. <laughs> okay, I guess we're keeping. <laughs> it's in now. It's thank in you, Kira. <laughs> so, one thing I wanted to talk about maybe is um, I had a thought about. Can you think of a time when? these these games that these women have designed kind of carried you through something particularly difficult. Yeah. Oh, gosh, definitely. I mean, outside of the obvious being boredom or waiting, I mean, time between things. I mean, starting right at the very surface with no depth to my answer at all. I don't know what I would have done with my time if I didn't have these games to play. But uh, <laughs> uh, outside of that, no, taking me through a difficult time Probably when uh, when my uh, uncle Max passed away uh, was about the same time I was getting into Quest for Glory four, and you know I d- I'd never really dealt with somebody really 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 super close to me that was a really nice person passing away very quickly before, and I remember kind of using Quest for Glory as a little bit of a crutch because there was it was so involving and so much in my mind that uh, I I played through four and then it kept crashing on me. Right. Like I was, that's Mm -hmm. when I first got the uh, exception error. But anyways, it long story short, uh, I I ended up going all the way back through the series and I don't know, it's probably not the happiest story, but yeah, it helped. I mean, what my point is I I made it through with strength and and with dignity and in a time that could have been uh, difficult for me. And I don't know, like, am I saying maybe people could say I'm using a game as avoidance to dealing with the problem, but I, I felt like it was super healthy and I was able to use that type of game to put things into perspective because you're you're actually dealing with love and death and circumstance all the way through some of these series. 
You know, I, I don't think that sounds like escapism really at all. I think that you're right. Sometimes a game can help us to, well, do one of two things. Either the content helps you to process what's going on, or mm-hmm. it gives your brain a little bit of a break from the constant stress. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it's an escape, but not an unhealthy one. It gives you a minute to catch your breath. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important when you're going through something really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that Lori would be really thrilled to hear that you know, she helped you through that time. Oh, well, that that is sweet to hear. Yeah, my, my uncle and I used to play games together. I have a photo of me when I was like nine playing bubble ghost with him hanging over my shoulder he didn't he didn't play games and he wasn't into it so every time he came over he was like the one person in the world that was like oh i'm gonna sit here and watch you play this adventure game for two hours just because i don't know i'm here from toronto and we're gonna hang out so you know those kinds of memories that sounds like he just wanted to spend time with you and it's just so sweet that you have those memories well you know now i gotta flip the question on to you of course sarah um yeah you know recently Um, As you know, um, we went through a really tough time with my dad uh, passing away from cancer. Mm -hmm. And in, in the first year of the locked in the first year of the pandemic. So during the lockdown, I couldn't visit him, you know, and I was just, of course, you know, with him being in cancer treatment during this prior to the vaccine, I was terrified Mm -hmm. something would happen to him or my mom or both. And so my brain was just in constant stress mode, constant. And um, like I said, it was really hard not being able to, to visit. And so I, I went, I, I hadn't played through uh, any of Jane Jensen's games up to this point. I, I played through uh, Gabriel Knight one. I was really fun. And I decided to play Gabriel Knight two, and that ended up being my favorite. And mm. That one hit me in a really good place because it was, I think it was during the summer of 2020 and there was a, a lot of, obviously a lot of things going on and I got to go and play tourist in Germany. I got to break from what was going on and just kind of sink into this world with, you know, not only supernatural mystery, but I was visiting real places in a time when the whole world was locked down and nobody could really go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that was just such a welcome breath of fresh air. And, um, and also, you know, it hit me in an emotional spot that I was not expecting. I Mm -hmm. got completely dragged into it. Just empathy for Ludwig. And I, you know, I could go off for a long time about it, but basically it also just, her games are not only are they exhaustively researched and interesting and informative, but they're also really good mysteries. And then layered on top of that, well, actually, no, the foundation, I think, mm-hmm. is the character relationships. And um, combining that with the performances of the the actors in the game, I just, I was just taken in. I was charmed. I was intrigued. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So it was just such a nice, it was a nice way to just sort of give myself a break and to be able to kind of, you know, go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved it. I think, uh, well, you bring up a really amazing, well, a great point with the layering. That's the first thing I said when I played Gabriel a night the first time is, is the layering. I'm like, it's a game about 
one thing, but it's also about another, but it's also about all these relationships and intricacies between other people. It's also about history and, and learning about a city and learning about a culture. And there, there's just, there's so many layers with this woven narrative and emotional tones uh, that, that mix with the music and everything else that uh, there's nobody else that puts a, together a story like that. No, and I've been spoiled forever. It's <laughs> terrible. I mean, it's wonderful, but it's also terrible. I tore through the, you know, a bunch of the other games that she played, and then I got done, and I was like, oh no, I should have gone. I should have uh, played them a little bit more slowly. I just, <laughs> I got to the end of Grey Matter, and I was like, there isn't another one. No. Please, sir. Oh, I want some more. I know. I know. Oh. I'm sure she hears that all the time. No, mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, give me a break. No, no. I'm sure she's not like that. It's just more like, oh gosh, want more, want more. Oh, that, it's true. Yeah. My computer <laughs> keeps trying to go to sleep. And so my notes page keeps disappearing. But um, yeah. And I, yeah. Uh, what you go ahead. It sounded like you had something to say. No, I was just, I was just uh, pretty much uh done on that subject I mean I could I could just go on about the narrative and the weaving but then the next thing I know I'm doing another like Gabriel Knight episode and I'm not going to do that till I've completed the second one which everybody keeps telling me is amazing and I know I'm saving it it's it's going to happen my list of games that I've never played is getting shorter and most of the time I do them on purpose to do a podcast episode so because I haven't done an episode in a while I'm a little bit behind on my games oh I'm so excited for you to play that you're gonna love it you're gonna love it I mean, oh, I I'm stoked. Know. Oh, yeah. No, I'm totally stoked. <laughs> so so we've talked a bit about uh, past game designers and, and games that have influenced us. Uh, what about uh, games that are coming out or are up and coming now? Have you thought about, like, are there still female game designers out there that you're following or games that you're interested in? Uh, I was going to mention also, you know, obviously we know probably most of the people we bring up would be similar. We, we run in a lot of the same circles with voice actresses as well as people that uh, follow games online and do videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first person that comes to mind, of course, is Julia Minamata mm-hmm. and the Crimson Diamond, which we're all anxiously awaiting to be released. It's beautiful. And if you're listening and you don't know what that is, look up the Crimson Diamond on Steam, wishlist it, download the demo, and enjoy. It is sheer EGA goodness, and she is doing an excellent job. I've gotten to beta test some of it, and y'all are in for a treat, and I can't wait. Text parser, but like, okay, logical text parser. Let's take a couple of cool things. Like, you can do shortcuts, as in Police Quest, as in O, open door, O door, things like that. And you can, there's a journal that kind of keeps track of things and everything's prioritized by days. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, great one to check out. Another great one to check out is Capia by Anna Mimic. She is uh, another member of the Classic Gamers Guild and she has an adorable game. Well, it's actually, there's more to it. It's not just an adorable, beautiful game. It's an emotional game. It's a game about connection and family and gains and loss and the world and the future. And there's just, there's so many cool steampunk inventions and it's, it's a game to check out. This one's out, so you can download the actual game. It's on sale right now on Steam. You can get it on GOG. Writing that one down. K-A-P-I-A yes please do I'm there is uh, I voice one of the robots there's a protest chant uh, about uh, 
mother, so I, I get to do one of the robot voices. You'll hear me in there doing this like robot anyways like that. And oh, then cool. That's awesome. A, there's also a, a Classic Gamers Guild uh, robot you'll see on the front of one of them as well. So a, a few little fun touches of our, our friends in there too. Oh, I had no idea. I'm so excited to see it. Yeah, it's a she's a husband and wife team. So the, I have mm -hmm. to bring her up because of, we've talked about Lori and Corey Cole and Ken and mm -hmm. Roberta Williams and everybody else that you've mentioned, uh, Jane and, and Robert. So yeah, Anna and and her husband, who I would love to name if I knew who he was. But this is a female centered episode, so I'm going to leave it at <laughs> that. <laughs> but go get her, go get her game, go pick it up. Uh, uh, is there any others? Well, right now, um, some of the original. Uh, designers from Sierra have games that are going to be coming out soon. Lori Cole working on uh, Summer Days of Hero U with Corey Cole, of course. And of course, everybody's talking about Roberta and Ken's next game, Colossal Cave Adventure. So mm -hmm. it's a really exciting time to be in adventure gaming because not only do we have kind of this 2.0, this generation that is inspired by these original creators, they're still doing stuff. So that's exciting. Yeah, that's super exciting, actually, you know, just in this day and age. And then, of course, we've got some of our, our uh, females in the guild. Uh, we have uh, Ivy Dupler, who has been on a previous podcast episode, and uh, she's currently voicing a new episode in God School that you can find on YouTube. It's been viewed like millions of times. So enjoy that. Uh, lovely cartoons even teach you a little bit about the gods. and Or Pathfinder, Wrath of the Righteous, which is... Uh, Big, big game coming out, you know, for people that like RPGs and all that kind of cool stuff came out in 2021. She's also uh, doing a voice there. So that's yeah, amazing. We've, we've just, uh, um, and Eva Tiravade, Tiravade, I believe that's how you pronounce it in case, uh, you know, you actually play the game and, and want to know. And, and then, of course, if you want to find out about games, some classic and, and some of the older games, we've got Pamela Dwan Eck. Pamela Dwanek has uh, also been on a uh, episode of uh, the Classic Gamers Guild podcast and has her own YouTube channel and, uh, and has some fantastic game reviews and stuff out there. So we've got some talented people out mm -hmm. there. And also, just to kind of put a word in for um, women who do game reviews also, um, they are on YouTube and we have, I really planned this part because I didn't think about it until now, but... Um, Right now she's doing mostly TV stuff, but Pushing Roses has done a lot of video game and adventure game retrospectives, including also, and she does one every now and then. She's also recently, and when I say recently, this was probably like a year or two ago, but she played Julia's uh, Crimson Diamond demo and she loved it. So she did mm. a video promoting that as well. Very cool. Yeah, you know, there's some some cool videos out there. Um, I was just I was reading online and they were talking about games that women are into and outside of Candy Crush Saga, which is 83% women. Now I've missed out on that boat because I've never played Candy Crush. But you've got Dragon Age Inquisition being about half women that play that game, which is funny, I actually quite like wow. that game. I like Origins anyways. I haven't played Inquisition yet, but I'm guessing it's somewhere along the same range there. I don't know if you've ever played any of the Dragon Age series. I haven't. Ben has. That's a little bit more in his wheelhouse. I'm kind mm -hmm. of a 2D kind of a girl, so. Yeah, yeah, I have a hard time. Like, I always put it into third-person perspective. I'm 
I'm not very good with the first person's perspective outside of like maybe your very, very basic Doom game or whatever. I have a little bit of motion sickness. So Mm -hmm. really the 2D games, they suit me well. And then if I play a 3D one too long, I start to feel queasy and I have to stop. So it's a little bit of of eternity for you. Is that, (sighs) (laughs) you know, we like to stay positive over here in the uh, Gamers Guild. So all I'm going to say about that is not really my cup of tea, but you know, uh, if it is yours, knock yourself out. It's uh, it's easy to be forgiving on it now. Actually, I liked it then because I compared it to Quest for Glory and I'm like, oh, cool. Now King's Quest is more like Quest for Glory. So I just played it thinking it was just, I don't know, an RPG kind of style game. So I didn't I really see that. Yeah, I just I like I was I've always been really good at reclassifying things. Like, let's say your birthday is on Tuesday, but I'm busy. OK, your birthday is on Sunday and I'm not even going to call you on Tuesday. And I've always kind of been like that. So I, I do the same thing with the games. Just like, yeah, that's how I classify it. It's fine. You know, I got to give Roberta Williams and Ken, because it's kind of a company thing, I got to give them props for always trying different things. So Mm -hmm. whether it worked out well or not, they were always, let's try something different. Mm -hmm. So then that's how you end up with Gabriel Knight being, you know, a 3D adventure game. And then, you know, just your basic VGA pixel game. And then you go to FMV and then you go to this completely, you know, 3D engine. Um, so it, it, I appreciate the dedication to innovation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Always going forward. And I mean, they're making a game now, Colossal Cave, which I think is, is what is the word apex of all of it? Cause it's like, you're taking the oldest game in the book and you're using unity and doing some of the newest graphics and yet you're taking all of the original text and humor and everything that was needed to make a creative original but solely text-based game and bringing it into the future by taking the time and attention for the new graphics for it again moving into the future which is is absolutely true to form absolutely it's like they took a little piece of the past and decided to push forward with it Mm -hmm. so they're giving a nod to their roots, but they're also trying something completely new. Mm-hmm. That's really uh, their I'm style. Mm-hmm. It totally is. Like, it's the, like, wow, okay, go away and ride on a boat for 20 years and come back and just be more of yourselves. And that makes me so happy. Like, everything else in the world is just changing all the time, but this mm-hmm. is the same. And that's nice. And yet it's not the same. It's the same by being different. You get the wonderment of it. Like, I love that. (laughs) I just, I guess if I could sort of, I'm going to break the fourth wall here and just sort of, if I could address these wonderful women who I, I honestly don't know if any of them will ever hear this, but thank you for what you did because everything from, you know, defining a genre to giving women like us the freedom to just kind of like whatever it is that we want to like, to enjoy the things that we enjoy, to be creative in the ways that make sense to us. That's incredibly meaningful in a world that constantly tries to kind of compartmentalize and box women in. You guys just opened the door. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that. And, um, And yeah, and I think I also want to clarify that, you know, that doesn't mean that I'm ripping on traditional, what we would probably call, um, you know, media that is traditional for women. I mean, I also grew up reading and enjoying 
babysitters club and <laughs> sweet Valley <laughs> twins and all of that stuff. And, you know, like I said earlier, my little ponies, care bears, all of it. But then <laughs> I also liked all kinds of things and it just made me feel affirmed that it was okay to like all kinds of things, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with you. I feel the same way. So yeah, I guess, let's see, looking at the time, we're pretty close to the end of the episode. If, uh, if there's anything else you want to mention before we go, I personally am just going to close with, uh, after hearing us talk about, you know, genders and girls and boys and, and being out in the industry, I think it's really comes down to people that are passionate and do things successfully and people that are strongly motivated and moving forward, whether by themselves or with a team, is what it's all about. It's not about, you know, female and male game makers it's it's just about people that were influential and it just happens to be Mm -hmm. that a lot of the people that were influential to us growing up were female game makers so oh as much as i take it out of the formula i just put it right back in again and talked a full circle thing didn't i i love it i love it (laughs) and if we were to you know go into every game designer that influenced us you know we we would also have to mention you know people like josh mandel of course course. you know and the two guys from andromeda um but i think that for me personally the games that came from these four women were just really really influential to me and also oh before we go i wanted to give a shout out to my favorite fictional ladies in these games so Maid Marian was a boss. Laura Bow was amazing. Grace Nakamura, bow. Um, and of oh, course, my original favorite, Rosella. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast episode all about women in gaming. What do you think? What were your female influences growing up? Did you have some of the same experiences that Sarah and I had? Were they different experiences? I'd love to hear about it. Send over an email, mail at classicgamersguild.com, or heck, you could send us a tweet. CGG podcast out there in uh, Twitterland. You can also find us on Instagram, although it's probably a little bit quieter, at CGG podcast. There's Facebook. We're a page. We're a group. Classic Gamers Guild podcast. Classic Gamers Guild is also out there for all you people that are interested in hanging out and having a chat. Uh, You can look up our episodes on cggpodcast.com. We're also available on all those major streaming services, Spotify, YouTube Music, iTunes, all of it. It's out there. You can find us on it. Throw it into Google. It's pretty receptive. Want to throw out a huge thank you to all of our Patreons at Patreon, at Classic Gamers Guild. You guys are awesome. If it weren't for you, none of these episodes would get made. It's nice to feel that uh, people out there care. A big thanks to everybody in every tier. Uh, it's uh, much appreciated. So, All right, that's it. I guess that leaves me to say it. Don't do a murder. Don't do a murder.